0: Man, that, that, that song gets get you fired up. That's what I'm talking about. Well, happy Mother's Day, all you moms. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I wanted to um, read to you what, what I put in the bulletin for you, for you moms. Um, out of Proverbs 31, right there, where it's the word to the wise... Just a little excerpt of what it says there. Proverbs 31 from 25 to 29. It says, strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. That's for you, moms. Aww. You know, it's it's interesting because I know a lot of you moms, a lot of you moms might not feel like the virtuous woman. You know, when it comes to, you know, chapter uh, 31 of Proverbs, you're going, I can never live up to that. But you know what? You probably do in the eyes of your husband and your family. Even though you might not be appreciated much, without you, they will miss you. Moms are, are, moms are special. I, I, I am like the biggest mama's boy. I really am. And I just love my mama. That's right. I, I might say a lot of stuff that's all macho and stuff, but I, I am the biggest baby. I go and visit my mom just about every Friday. And, and Friday, I went to go visit her. And um, in, in, in Mexico, the, the 10th of May is, is Mexican Mother's Day. And so I got older. She's telling me all these people are called. And it's like, why are they calling you today? It's like, because it's Mother's Day. And I said, oh, yeah, happy Mother's Day in Spanish, you know. Um, <laughs> I forget oftentimes. We're in America. So it's like, I forget. But, uh, but then she gets two Mother's Days because today's mother's day as well and so anyways bless you moms i want to pray for you guys before we get into the study um and so let's pray for our moms father i am just so grateful for moms lord um lord they are special and they have a special place in our hearts and lord i know oftentimes moms don't feel appreciated but i pray that today you would just minister to their hearts lord Remind them of the job that you have given to them, Lord. That's a very important job, Lord, not just when the kids are small, but even when they're big, Lord, that um, even old men like me who still care about our moms. And so I just pray that, God, you would minister to them today. Remind them of uh, your love for them. I pray that the families, Lord God, would be able to bless their moms. Lord... Um, I know that so many people, Lord God, right now don't have their moms and it's a hard day for them. And I pray that you would comfort their hearts, that you would just, just remind them, Lord God, of the love that their moms had for them. And Lord, even though it's a sad day for them, Lord God, that they would rejoice in you because you are a God who cares. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much for all the work that you've done in the lives of these moms and all that are represented here. And we thank you. Thank you for our moms, Lord. And Lord, right now, even as we uh, prepare our hearts for this morning and for the word, help me, Lord God, even as I um, have this message that you've laid on my heart, help me to teach with boldness, with clarity. I pray for my brothers and sisters are here that God you would just prepare their hearts to hear it and Lord if there's anyone here who doesn't know you Lord God open their hearts to hear it Um, we just want to bless you and thank you Lord in Jesus name amen (coughs) well we've gotten to the last chapter of Hebrews chapter of of the book of Hebrews we're in chapter 13 Um, but it's not the last study Yet, we still have a couple more studies left in the book of Hebrews. Um, it is such an amazing book. I For those of you guys who have been around for a while, that have been kind of going through it with us, we started it back in, in August. And um, I, I hope that I have done it justice, because it is an amazing book. And I hope that you have followed along. And maybe if you're new... Um, that uh, you've caught some of the studies in Hebrews that you would just fall in love with this book and maybe go back and read this book through because it is truly an amazing, amazing book. And so, uh, if you can make your way over to Hebrews 13, we will jump right in. There's a lot to cover this morning and we're going to be covering the first nine verses and there's a lot. <laughs> and... Uh, you are there, let us read. If you're not, you can catch up. Verse 1 of chapter 13 of Hebrews. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have un- entertained, unwittingly entertained angels. Okay, let me start over. <laughs> let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by So doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness, be content. With such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follows, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the, that the heart be established by grace, not with foods, which have not profited those who have been accompli- uh, accomplished, uh, occupied with them. <laughs> Okie dokie. A couple of things before we get into the text here. As I was reading some of the commentaries on this last chapter, some believe that this last chapter is is a cover letter of, of a sort um, that came with this letter that was sent to the Hebrew readers. That, that it was just a short note of exhortation and that it was possibly written by the Apostle Paul because of the references to, uh, to verses uh, 22 and 23. But most believe that this is just the epilogue of this book, that, that it is the concluding section of this letter that rounds out the, the whole context of what the writer has been saying to the Hebrew reader. In other words, that these are just the last-minute instructions the miscellaneous stuff that he really didn't go into detail with, but he wanted to get across to them. Not having time, or else it would have been a longer letter, that perhaps he just like, at the last portion of it, as he's closing up, he he wanted to mention all these practical aspects of Christian life, not being able to go into the details. And so a lot of it is just practical things that really never change even with time. Whichever it is, whether it's a, 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 a cover letter that came with the letter or it is the epilogue of this, of this book, of this letter, it is still the Word of God. And as it says in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so because it is the word of God, we will go on with our bad selves and continue reading as if, or or the way we've been doing it throughout. I will refer to it as the writer of this letter. Um, And so we will continue. So verse 1 where it says, Let brotherly love continue. It is such an amazing verse. It is one that if you have a hard time memorizing scripture, this is an easy one to memorize. All all it says is let brotherly love continue. It is short and sweet, but it gets to the point. Because love, brotherly love, is the basis, the, the foundation of all that they were supposed to do. It, it, it was love that, w- that would spur on everything else. And it was love that, that should be something that was birthed in our hearts when we become born again. In, in time of persecution and rejection for these brothers and sisters of the time, they, they were being persecuted and rejected by their Jewish counterparts, by their comrades, the people that they had grown up with and all these kinds of things. They were being rejected by them. Their families were were, were coming against them constantly. And love was or should be what ruled the day for them, for the believer. Love would have to supersede all the things that they were going through. And so love is very, very important in the life of a believer. It is what sets the believer, the Christian, apart from everybody else. The fact that we are to love. You know, I I, I know that sometimes people say, well, it's just hard for me to love. And I would say, well, check yourself. (laughs) Are you in Christ? Because if you are in Christ, then again, that should be birthed in you. Love should be something that comes when the Spirit of God lives in you. You are now able to love. And those who you have a hard time loving, while maybe the Lord's trying to teach you by keeping them around you, this is how you love. And so, again, love is something that distinguishes, differentiates (laughs) who who we are if we call ourselves Christians. If we call ourselves by His name, Jesus said, this is what will distinguish you in John thirteen thirty five, And I'm going to give you plenty of scriptures, so you might want to write them down. John thirteen thirty five says, and by this you will know, they will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love is the key. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God in you, then you should be oozing out love. And people, sometimes again, it's like, but it's just so hard. Well, get into the Word and find out what Jesus is all about, because He is love. It says that God is love. And if if you have the Spirit of God in you, then there should be some kind of evidence that love is flowing in you and through you. I like the way the Amplified puts this simple but profoundly deep verse. Let love For your fellow believer, continue and be fixed and be fixed and be a fixed practice with you. Never let it fail. Never let love fail is what he's trying to get across. You see, with with these people that were kind of going through it in the day back here. These, these, these believers were going through trials and pressures and, and persecution from those who, who, who they had hung out with, who they had gone to synagogue and temple with. That now they're being pressured and, 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 and persecuted by them. And it would have been easier for the believer of that day to kind of just keep his Christianity on the down low. Because once they came out, <laughs> being a Christian, then the pressures started. It would have been easier for them to be closet Christians, to be secret saints, to kind of keep it down here. But if they would have been holding back as Christians, then they wouldn't be able to express love to one another. And it was this love that became so important within the Christian community. Love was Or is the hallmark, the trademark, the seal, the stamp, the characteristics and bo- uh, brand and traits of the Christian faith. Without love, you have nothing. <laughs> Without love, you, ha- you are nothing as a Christian. It is love that, that makes you or that, that expresses that Christ is in you. And so love is very, very important. And I love the fact that Jesus, when teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, which I am so excited about for this summer, a little plug for this summer, be here for the Sermon on the Mount. I love the fact that when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he ups the ante in our Christian lives of what we are supposed to do and how we're supposed to act. Because again, on the Sermon on the Mount, he is talking to his disciples those who believe, and he ups the ante when he says, You have you have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes His Son, rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Again, I know what the text is telling us here, that we are to continue in brotherly love, loving one another. But he ups the ante and he says, love those who don't love you. Love love those who who come against you. Again, he's teaching us a principle here that there should be love flowing from our hearts all the time, regardless to whoever. We are to love. Love is, 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 again, what separates us from everything else. Love, for the Christian, is something that never changes, even with time. Love never changes. It should never change in us. It should never change from the time it was written to today. Love never changes. It is truly, again, what sets us apart because it is the law of Christ. We are not under the law of Moses. We are under the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is love. That is what the new covenant is all about. Pure love. And we are to walk in that. Verse 2. It says, And do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. This speaks of hospitality. Entertaining strangers. And hospitality is something that never changes, even with time. Hospitality is the same all the time. If there is true Christian love, then there should be hospitality associated with it. And it is true today, even as it was back then. And it's a very important type of ministry to have hospitality, especially back then, because the early church was being persecuted so bad, these people here, that they were being driven out of their homes. And some didn't have homes anymore as we read in another time in the book of Hebrews that their properties were being taken away. And so those other Christians were to be hospitable to the believer. To those who who, who may have been strangers that they didn't know but they were believers, they were be to, uh, to be hospitable to them. Also there was a lot of traveling ministers in the day and they needed a place to stay and many of the poor saints who couldn't afford homes or to stay in the inn when they were traveling. And because the church met in homes, it was only obvious that, or natural that they would stay with the host family. And so again, speaking of hospi- host- hospitality, I was going to say hostility, but no, that's the opposite. <laughs> Pastors are supposed to be lovers of Hospitality. It says in Proverbs, or, or, or in Titus 1, eight, But then again, all saints are to be given to hospitality, it says in Romans 12.13. Now, in, in, in regards to entertaining strangers, in Genesis 18, Abraham showed hospitality to Jesus and two of his angels back then. They, they didn't know who they were when he welcomed them. Abraham didn't know who it was. But these strangers come along and he invites them in and he begins to, to be hospitable to them. And it wasn't until later on afterwards that they realized who it was. But they were entertaining angels and the Lord Jesus at that same time. The word angel means Messenger. And we have seen angels minister, (laughs) being sent by God, to minister throughout the Word of God. And I don't want to take anything away from angels and how God can still use them even today. I truly believe that there are angels that are being used for God's purpose today. I, I, I can't tell you for sure that I have ever entertained angels. But I could tell you that I've entertained strangers in my life. People that have come into my life for a time and they ministered to me and all of a sudden they're gone and I have no clue where they went. Now, if you if somebody came into your life and you can still stay in contact with them, then they're probably not angels. But if those people who have come into your life and done something on your behalf or ministered to you and then all of a sudden it's like, I don't even know where they're at anymore. Then, again, I just truly believe that God does still use angels. And sometimes we're left wondering, was that an angel or not? It's interesting because here I'm doing this study for today. And yesterday my daughter uh, was running. And she runs a lot. And she was probably like on her 15th mile or something like that. And she, as she was so thirsty, she had some water, but she was, she was crying out to God, going, Lord, I would go do anything for some ice-cold water right now. I don't know which road she was running on. But she she passes this this truck, this utility truck, and as she goes and turns around and comes back, and she makes eye contact with the driver to make sure she, she doesn't pull, he doesn't pull out in front of her. And he pulls out this water bottle and hands it to her as she's passing by. And she's going, thank you, thank you. And she, and sure enough, she gets it, and it's like ice cold. This is what she wanted. And I'm going, whoa. I mean, her first thought was like, oh, thank you, Lord. I hope it's not poisoned or, or has anything in it, you know. But she calls me <laughs> to tell me what's going on in case she does, like, fall over dead. Um, I know where to find her. But it, it, it was like, okay, Lord, did you set that up? How, how, how is that possible that here one of your kids is like thirsting? Well, thirsting because she's running because she wants to, first of all. But she's thirsting and you just minister to her. Is it possible that God continues to use angels at His whim whenever His people need them? But speaking of hospitality, it never hurts to be friendly, cordial, to be warm. It never hurts to be gracious and yes, even generous to strangers. You just never know if God puts someone in your path that He has sent to test you because they will be reporting back to Him at any time. It never hurts. (laughs) Verse 3 Remember the prisoners as if chained with them those who are mistreated since you also since you yourselves are in the body also. Because of the suffering that they were going through at that time the writer wanted them to remember not to forget those who had been imprisoned because of their faith. He, he, he wanted them to to remember them continually and putting themselves in their shoes. Because they themselves were going through hard times. And, 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 and what he is sharing with them here is like, be concerned and have compassion for other people. Because concern and compassion are two things that never change, even with time. They never change. They're, they are always the same. We, we, we are to be compassionate. We are to be concerned for other people. That's what the Bible tells us to, to do. And it wasn't an uncommon thing for for the Christians of that day to be put in prison. It wasn't uncommon in that t- day for the, the, the believer to be mistreated by his, his, the people that they used to hang around with. It wasn't uncommon that, that, that people would come against them and He says, remember them. Don't forget about them. And I know that even today, in certain parts of the world, things like this are still going on. Where believers are being imprisoned and killed and, and mistreated. And we may not be able to do a lot about it, but we are to be concerned for them and, and, and have compassion for them, putting ourselves in their shoes. And when we do that, then we can pray for them. We, we can minister to them. And if the Lord lays something on your heart to do something for them, then you do that. And and I understand that, again, today people are willing to die for their faith. They understand in some of these countries that that it is against the law to be a Christian, that they are more than willing to die for their faith. And I think oftentimes we want to be kind and stuff and, and save them from it. And it's understandable because we should have compassion. But many of them are going, no, I'm cool. I'm willing to die for my faith. Still, we need to be praying for them. Now, what often happens to us today in this day and age, I I know that we can and we will have concern and compassion for those who are being mistreated. When when there's injustices being done, I, I, I know that we will have compassion for them. But what, the, what about those who are in prison? I, I, I think many times we say to ourselves, why should I feel sorry for them? They did this to themselves. Why should I feel sorry for them? Why should I feel bad for them? Now I understand what, 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 what you're thinking because I'm, a, I'm just as cruel and as mean as you are. <laughs> I, I, I often think the same thing. It's like, pff, they're the ones that did this to themselves. But I think that we can become so cold-hearted sometimes, even if they've done wrong and they did it on purpose. We are still to have compassion on them because they're lost. I think oftentimes, again, we forget what Jesus said, when you do this to the least of them, you've done it up to me. The word prisoner might have meant something different in this text in in, in, in the sense that He was talking about Christians who were being put in prison because of their faith. That may be what he was talking about. But the word prisoner means in bonds, a captive. And those who are without Jesus, whether they're in prison or not, (laughs) they are in bonds and they're captives to this world. And our hearts should be concerned for them. In our hearts should be having compassion for them, desiring for them to be saved. Verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Marriage. That blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream, it is one of the greatest things that God has ever made. It is to be honored, marriages. It is honorable. It is, it, it, it is to be held as a high, as a great prize, especially dear, esteemed, worthy, and precious. That is what that word honorable, it means. It it, it is supposed to be held up. Marriage is the only thing that survived the Garden of Eden. God instituted man and wife in the Garden of Eden. And when they sinned and they were kicked out of the Garden, man and wife were the only things, the only institution that really came out of that whole thing. And so I believe... (laughs) That marriage could be the closest thing to paradise that we have here on earth. Because it was instituted in the garden. And so I believe that today your marriage could be paradise. And you're thinking, oh, you don't know my wife. It's spoken about her in, in Proverbs, but not Proverbs 31. It's about living in the corner of a house because she's a constant drip. That verse. But hey, it's Mother's Day, let's be nice. (laughs) Marriage can be paradise here on earth. And the wife would say, but you don't know my husband. (laughs) There's no way it could ever be paradise. He's so hard-headed. He's so stubborn. He's so this and that, men. Do all you can to make your marriage paradise. Men, it would be up to you. It would behoove you to to work on your marriage to where there is paradise in your home. With all the craziness that goes on in this world, make your home a place of refuge. A place where it could be near paradise. And you're going, you don't know my household. Then make your bedroom a place of paradise. If you can not have any kind of sanity anywhere, make it in that room and don't let the kids in there if you have to. Because you want it to stay paradise. It is highly esteemed by God, marriage is. It is so highly esteemed that in marriage it says that the bed is undefiled. In other words, It is in marriage alone that there is no guilt associated with sex. In marriage, it is all clean. In marriage, it is undefiled. There's no dirtiness about it. In marriage, anything goes with consent, of course. This is what Paul said about this issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a wife. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. What Paul was saying, so there is no sin involved, get yourself a wife. Or a husband. Now make sure it's in the Lord, please. Don't just like, oh man, I'm sinning. Let me go, hey, any of you guys? You're like, no, nothing like that. <laughs> so that there is no sin. Because again, in marriage, there is no sin in sex. It's interesting because before marriage, the warning is don't. Don't do it don 't go there <laughs> in marriage counseling <clears throat> premarital counseling again the the emphasis is like don 't until the marriage day wait if you 've already done it, repent, go back and, 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 and just and it's like, oh, is this too hard well don 't hug, don 't touch don 't do anything. high fives <laughs> high fives if, if you have to, and if that 's too hard, air high five, stay away from it <clears throat> That is the warning before marriage throughout Scripture. After marriage, go for it. Do it as much as you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. Do it. That, that's what, in marriage, it's okay. You can do it as long as you want. There's no condemnation there. God says it's Okay. And I love that because, again, I trip out because I do weddings that before, you know, the premarital part of it, I leave the intimacy part of it until like the last week because I don't want any more in their heads than they already have. But, but I, 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 I just trip out that before the ceremony, it's still like, don't. Don't touch. I know, I know you're this close. Don't do it. And afterwards, it's like, got my blessings. Go. <laughs> Go do it. It will be epic. It will be awesome. Go for it. And this is what's interesting because during the marriage ceremony I say certain words and the two shall become one flesh. And that is not true at all until that evening when they consummate the marriage. Then that is when they become one flesh. Isn't that amazing? That is when they become one. Those who are having sex outside of marriage are hurting themselves, and they are hurting other people. And I know our society says, oh no, it's no big thing. It's like, no, people are getting hurt every day. People are are constantly getting hurt. Fornication is sexual immorality, and that means anything outside of marriage. Speaking about this to our youth group at times, Talking about what is sexual immorality. And we begin to go from, you know, having sex to all these things. And and man, we have gotten it down to even holding hands can be sexual immorality. And some of you are going, really? It's like, well, that's where it starts oftentimes. And it just progresses from there, so be careful. That That is fornication. Adultery is going outside of marriage. Already being married and having extramarital affairs. You see, sex is just not physical, it's emotional. And you see that in people. You see when relationships begin to have sex, that all of a sudden their emotions have changed. There's something different going on in their lives. And you see this in young people oftentimes. When they start having sex at an early age, they begin to change. Parents, wake up to this. <laughs> and I know some parents, is like, man, I'm with them all the time. It's like, man, it happens anywhere at any time. Intercourse or outer course, whatever it may be. If they are like doing stuff, they begin to change emotionally. And it all comes back to that guilt that's associated with having, having sex outside of marriage. And so it's not only physical... And emotional. But it is also spiritual. Sex is spiritual. Because there is a oneness. That comes with intimacy. That is when God sees you as one. And that is related to the intimacy. That we are to have with God. Jesus said this. In John 17. 20 through 22. I do not pray for these alone. But also for those. Who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you, have give, which you gave to me I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. God desires an intimacy with His people, a oneness, just like Him and the Father are one. Not dirty, It's, it's a oneness. And when people become one, they are representing this oneness, this intimacy that we are to have with God our Father. In no other relationship are we that close but that oneness that we are to have with God. And he, he, he portrays that in marriage when they become one. There's this intimacy, this, this fellowship that God wants with us. And last week we, we heard the word koinonia when we're taking communion. And when you look up that word fellowship, koinonia, in the Greek, there's a word in there that's interesting because that word is intercourse. It's that intimate. God wants a oneness with us and He wants husbands and wives to have that oneness as well. Because sex would be a beautiful thing in the context of marriage. Please don't take it lightly because Satan and this world have, have cheapened sex. People are getting hurt every day. And God made it to be beautiful. It fits perfectly. He made it that way. Everything fits In the context of marriage. And God has put his blessing on it. Because he made it to work perfect. And marriage is something that never changes, even with time. It never changes, even with time. And yet, we're living in a time that society is trying to change the definition of what marriage is. And if you have bought into it as a Christian... I would say, check yourself. Go back to the Word of God and see what Jesus talks about and says about marriage. I, I, I want to read to you what, it, what, what Jesus did say when he was talking about the sanctity of marriage in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. He says, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that they are, so, then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Listen, you, you, you could disagree with what I'm saying. And you can disagree with what Jesus says about marriage. But this is what we believe as a church. That this church will stand for traditional marriage. It will stand for one man and one woman. And if you disagree, that's fine. This might not be the church for you. Because there are other churches that will accommodate your thinking. There are pastors that will go beyond what the Word of God says and will go with the flow. But this church will not. And if that means that, that we can't do weddings here or, or they'll take our, our, our status away of, of non-profit, then let them take it away. We, we could care less. We will stand true to what the Word of God says. You see, everything, and I mean everything in this world, is held together, maybe with exception, glue and cement, but everything in this world is held together with male and female parts. Everything. You cannot connect anything without a male and female part. These microphones that are here and everything that's here, they have male and female parts. Everything has male and female parts. Your cell phones that you plug in, there's a male and female part to it. Everything, the, the lights that we have here are connected with male and female parts. You can get two light bulbs and try to make light out of it for a million years And they will never, ever give you light. I could guarantee you that. If you get the female components of the light where it screws into, you could get two of those female adapters and try to make light with it and you will never in a million years make light with it. Because it's two female parts. Everything. Your car is held together with male and female parts. The chair you're sitting on has male and female parts. When you want to... To, to plant something, you dig a hole and you put it in and you cover it up, male and female. When you want to graft a branch into a, a, a tree, you have to slit it, open it up, put it in there and close it up. That is male and female to give life to that. Everything, everything deals with male and female. When you drive a nail into a piece of wood, it creates a male and female part. Everything is held together with male and female parts. There is nothing that that, that you can think of For the most part, that doesn't involve male and female parts. The water that you enjoy in your house, if they connected it all with female parts, guess what, you're never getting water. They're never going to connect. Everything. And those people who say, well, it's only natural, it is not natural. Every time that they, whatever they might be thinking, plug something in, it reminds them, male, female. Everything in this world. That's the way God created it. That's the way it functions. That's the way we get light. That's the way we get our sources from. Everything has connectors that are male and female. If they snap together, there has to be a male, there has to be a female. Guys, don't be sold a bill of goods. Everything. Two males will never, ever reproduce. They can't. It's not physically possible. Two, male, two females cannot reproduce. They will have to go outside their union to have a child. Because there is no way. Almost said hell. There is no way. that that can ever happen. We may not win the same-sex marriage issue. We probably won't. That's the way our country is going. That is what we're dealing with today. Doesn't mean we have to fight. Doesn't have to mean that we have to call them all kinds of names or anything. We pray for them. But we will stand for righteousness. We are to stand for righteousness. Let them call you whatever they want to call you because you're standing for righteousness. They may may talk about tolerance, but as soon as you give your opinion of what traditional marriage looks like, you're a a bigot and a homophobe. Guess what? I'm not afraid of gays. I'm not. I pray for them. they are people that need to be loved. But I'm not afraid. (laughs) There's nothing to be afraid of, people. Their agendas are a little crazy, but <laughs> but they have people behind them that will push this agenda. Guys, this is what we're living in in this world, but you stand for righteousness. You stand for righteousness. God will judge, it says. He is a consuming fire, as we read last week, and I will stand with what he stands for, and I hope you do too. Verses 5 and 6, moving right along. <laughs> Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The word covetousness means greedy, material, materialistic not being satisfied with what you have, always wanting more and wanting what other people have. Contentment is what we are to have. Contentment is something that never changes even with time. Whenever people are content, they have peace. And that's always good to have, peace. (laughs) If you know that, if you know that He will never leave you or forsake you, then you must know that He will give you what you need. All the time. He will give you what you need. Maybe not what you want, <laughs> but He will always give you your needs. And He will not fail at that, ever. That quote is from Deuteronomy 31.6, 30, where it says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one... Who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And in that we can be content. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And knowing that we can say that the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. (laughs) What can man do to me. If he will never leave me or forsake me. That, that, That verse that he quotes here is from Psalm 118.6. What really can man do to you if God is on your side? If He will never leave you or forsake you. In the last few verses here, 7 through through 9, it says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follows. Considering the outcome of their conduct, Jesus Christ is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. It is possible that the writer here was referring to the leaders and pastors who had gone before these believers. Those who had already and probably had already passed away. In one sense, they changed. Those pastors, those teachers. They changed because they left this life and went on to the other life. But their faith never changed while they were here on the earth. Their faith was consistent. And he says, check out their conduct, the way they lived. They were an example to you. Follow that example even in their absence. And even though they change because of death, the one that never changes, even in time, is Jesus Christ. Never changes. Jesus never changes ever. And if He never changes, and He has been caring or has cared for all those who have gone before us, then you are no exception. He will take care of you. He will always take care of you. If He never changes, then His Word never changes. So I encourage you, get to know His Word. So that... You will not be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting as it says in Ephesians 4.14. The more your heart is established by grace, the more mature you will become. Get to know His Word. And if you get to know His Word, then you won't be getting caught up And all the things that really don't matter, that are eternal. Jesus never changes. And the principles, the main beliefs that he has set forth in his words don't ever change either. As much as this world will try and change what he has established, they will always come up short. Guys, we might lose some of the battles that we're facing today as Christians, but we have won the war. If you are a believer and you have gotten caught up in what the world has been trying to sell you, I encourage you, repent. Go back to His Word. Understand what His Word says. It never changes, even with time. Jesus doesn't go with the flow. He doesn't go with popular opinion. He is not politically correct. (laughs) And for those of you who are here who don't know Jesus, He wants to change you. Even though He never changes, He wants to change you. He wants to change your thoughts. He wants to change your lifestyles. But He never changes. And if He never changes, then He is able to keep you but you need to surrender to Him. And to my brothers and sisters who are running this race with endurance, do not faint. Finish strong and stand for righteousness. Amen? Amen. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Lord, even right now, going through this portion of Scripture, Lord God, and seeing just the things that never change, Lord, the things that you have established that are not to be changed. And this world might try to change everything that is about you, Lord, but you don't. You don't waver. You're not tossed to and fro. You don't go with popular opinion, Lord. Thank you so much that we can have a constant in our lives, Lord. And I pray, God, for those in this room, those who who, who call themselves Christians but have been caught up in all this that the world has been selling them, Lord. I pray that, Father, right now, you convict their hearts, Lord. Lord, that they would understand what your word says, Lord. That they would ask for forgiveness, Lord, and get right with you, Lord. Lord, that they would not believe the lies of the enemy any longer but that they would stand for righteousness even if it costs them. Lord, I pray for those who who may be here who don't know you, Lord. I ask that, God, you would truly capture their hearts, Lord. That, Lord, they would realize that they need someone in their life that is constant, and you are that one, Lord. I pray that they would surrender their lives to you. Father, that you would continue to strengthen my brothers and sisters, Lord they would not bend that they would not flow or go with the flow but that they would stand for righteousness Lord keep them strong Lord God even as we're praying right now I just want to give you an opportunity if you're here and maybe you've been here for a while and you know that you're not right with God maybe you came because it's Mother's Day and you thought it was gonna be a Mother's Day message (laughs) And yet God brought you here because He wants you. If you're here and you need Jesus, all I want you to do is raise your hand up high so I can see it and I want to just pray for you. God bless you. Anybody else? If you've been a believer and you've bought into the lies of the enemy and you need prayer, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you also. Right on. Anybody else? those, those who, who raise their hand to, to, to ask God in your, in, into their lives, just pray a simple prayer of forgiveness, of asking God to forgive you. I just want to pray for you that that, that you would just receive it right now. And those of you who are believers, who have had a hard time with this, and God's convicted your heart, again, I just want to pray for you. Father in heaven, I just want to pray for those who raise their hand this morning. Lord, I pray that God, those who, who need you desperately because they've never really come to you, I pray that, God, you would forgive them of their sin. Lord, your word says that if they call out to you, you will save them. And I pray that their, their, their fate would be sealed right now, Lord God, and that they would believe that with all their heart, that their sins are forgiven. And I pray for those who have called themselves Christians but have bought into the lies of the enemy. I pray, God, that right now, Lord God, they would repent and turn back to you, that they would desire to know the truth, Lord, even if it costs them dearly. Lord, help them to stand. And I thank you for those who have raised their hands, Lord. Again, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Keep them strong, Lord. Help them, Lord, God, as they walk in this world. And we bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.